Welcome and thank you for joining us for the NAHU Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Health Underwriters. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify. The podcast is distributed on these platforms every Friday and is included in NAHU's weekly member-exclusive health policy newsletter, The Washington Update, giving you a head start on your weekly healthcare happy hour. The midterm elections are just a few days away as millions of Americans head to the polls and decide what the makeup of the 118th Congress will be in January. Will Democrats maintain control of both chambers? Will Republicans gain a majority in the House? And which elections are considered the most important for either party? On this week's episode of the Healthcare Happy Hour, I'm joined by Vice President of Congressional Affairs, John Green, and PPAC Manager, Nathan Mackler. Welcome back to the podcast, guys. Before we get into the more specific campaigns, what are the general projections you're seeing right now regarding the party control? Right now, Democrats have a majority in both chambers with a razor-thin majority in the Senate. Do we anticipate the GOP to take the majority in one or both chambers? So thanks for having us again. We are very excited. The midterms, it's almost like the Super Bowl, right? And so uh, we've been following this very closely. I think that in the House, it's definitely in Republicans' favor to take the majority. They don't need that many seats between redistricting and, you know, a lot of open seats, favorable climate. I think that they will prevail in the House. However, in the Senate, it is really a jump ball. It is currently 50-50. We could end the night still at 50-50. In fact, I I would say that just generally don't expect to know the results of Senate control on the night of the election. I think that Georgia is likely headed for a December 6th runoff and Pennsylvania could be too close to call and could end up in a recount. So I don't think that we'll actually know who controls the Senate. It's unlikely, uh, right? It still could be that close. And other states are reportedly very close as well. So you mentioned a few of the key Senate races. So let's discuss those. There are about six key Senate races that could decide which party holds majority in the Senate come January. Georgia, as you mentioned, Pennsylvania, Nevada, Ohio, Arizona, and Wisconsin. So let's start with talking about Georgia, the state that actually decided the makeup of the Senate back in 2020. So which candidates are facing off here and what do we expect? Well, this is between Senator Warnock, who is a uh, minister by profession, and he may recall in 2020, won in the runoff to fill the remainder of the term of the seat. And so he's up again against Herschel Walker, who is, of course, a legend in Georgia Bulldog football lore. And, you know, if there was an October surprise, I think that this is the race where there was an October surprise with a lot of allegations about Herschel's private life. But what's interesting is that despite all this talk about his private life, the polls are pretty darn tight. And just, and I'll say this to cover other states as well, where you look at an incumbent 
who's not at 50%, but is under 50% and is in a statistical tie, it makes you question why are they in a tie, an incumbent, that they can't convince enough of their constituents to rehire them for another term. So I, I think that, as I said before, this one will likely go to a runoff on December 6th. And it may be a pivotal seat once again to determine control of the Senate. So over in Pennsylvania, we have a, another big election with Democratic Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman running against the Republican famous television doctor, Dr. Oz. This has been a close campaign for months and has made the rounds in national news on more than one occasion. So can you talk a little bit about that race? Sure. So the dynamics here are different. I, I think also with reference to Pennsylvania, I think you got to look at the governor races there, right? They are very different. In Pennsylvania, the Democrat is running way, way ahead and can help Fetterman pull Democratic votes. In Georgia, it's the opposite. Herschel Walker may have to depend on Mr. Kemp, Governor Kemp, to help pull him across the finish line. So they're, they're moving in different directions. And I think that also clouds the trying to predict who will win. I've been hearing a lot more about people saying that they're going to split tickets also. And so I think that in the aftermath of the election, it will be interesting to look back to see how many people actually split their ticket and didn't vote straight party line. Of course, Fetterman, uh, the lieutenant governor in Pennsylvania, has been under a cloud relative to his health. He had a stroke and he's had great difficulty running a campaign, but has been out there. The Democrats have sent their big guns. The president, former President Obama, has visited. They're really going all out to try to flip that seat into the Democratic column. So it Again, it's very close and it's going to be hard to predict. Dr. Oz has been hit for the fact that he's not from Pennsylvania. He actually comes from New Jersey. But what we've seen in the polls here is that Republicans are coming home and are lining up behind Dr. Oz, which is why the polls have tightened in Pennsylvania. In Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, heavily Republican district, higher income area, you saw a lot of Fetterman signs in yards, and I think that was the kind of the New Jersey effect. But as I said, people are migrating back to Dr. Oz, and I think there are real concerns about Fetterman's health. We've had senators in the past, Mark Kirk from Illinois, who had a stroke right after he was elected and had a really difficult time performing his, his duties. So I think it is a legitimate concern. We'll see if it's the overriding concern in a few days. And I just wanted to add, this is Nathan, the Hubeck manager here, that while Hubeck has not gotten involved in either of the elections we have mentioned in Georgia or Pennsylvania, in the past we had supported Senator Toomey, who was the previous senator of Pennsylvania. So we had been involved and had connections. We had been involved in Pennsylvania. We are just currently not with the two non-incumbents. So, And we'll discuss more later on about the races we have gotten involved in. Moving west, the Senate election in Nevada is also considered a toss-up, with NHU ally Senator Catherine Cortez Masto in a tight bid for re-election. So what are our predictions in this race? 
All right. So Senator Mastro is the incumbent. And as I said, mentioned earlier, that the fact that she is underperforming is a concern. Reports are that on the campaign trail, she's not particularly warm, but she's performed well in Washington for us on telehealth in particular. And it, it's hard to say which way this is going to go. Former Senate leader Harry Reid uh, left a legacy of political structure in the state, and they are going all out on the senator's behalf. And the culinary union, which is one of the more powerful unions in Las Vegas, is also really engaged. But inflation and pandemic uh, really has devastated Nevada, in Las Vegas in particular. They are very tourist dependent, and it is dried up. And I think that people are angry. And that's why this race is closer than it probably would otherwise be. It is a well-known opponent. And this one may be close and could possibly flip. And this is Nathan Mackle, HUPAC manager again. I wanted to mention QPAC is involved in this race. We have a very strong Nevada AHU delegation and Clark County AHU that have connections and relationships with Senator Cortez Masto, um, and we have given to her throughout the past, and she's worked on issues. So we did give to her. In fact, we did max out in her her primary, maybe even, I think, got close to maxing out in general. Um, and that has to do a lot with one-on-one meetings with our members and then bills that she had either voted with or sponsored or co-sponsored. So we had worked with her. That's the reason you'll notice we are not involved in a lot of these swing state elections, but this one we did give to her, and we do have some members in the LA area who also requested checks. Now, moving slightly south to Arizona, a solidly purple state that we have thrown in the toss-up pile for some time, including our conversations about the elections just a month ago with Senator Scott Kelly, also in a tight bid for re-election. So what are we seeing in this race? This is another race that you have to ask, why is he not higher up in the polls. They have thrown so much money into this race. He has way outperformed his Republican challenger in terms of dollars and TV time and so forth. And yet his numbers are still somewhat low. I think that the border issues are really important in Arizona. And people who live there deal with that every day. And so I think that is a big issue. I think crime is a big issue for people in suburban Phoenix area. And, and if you look at the, some of the House races, you know, they're trending uh, more Republican up there. They actually expect to pick up a couple of House seats up there as well. What is a drag on the Republican Party in Arizona is the governor's race. And this is where candidates matter. And there is a far right individual running for for governor. We don't know how people will split their ticket here, but it is a drag on uh, on the Republican side. And there have been some internal issues in the Republican Party in Arizona for a couple of cycles now that they still need to work out. Um, And this is Nathan again. And since John Brent brought up the House races too in Arizona, while Hubeck did not get involved with the Senate race currently. We did give to Representative 
Debbie Lesko of Arizona this past quarter. So we were involved in some of the house races in Arizona and Debbie Lesko is one of the distributions we get. We distributed out. So we were involved in a couple of those close sort of house races that we're looking at. And as a former Arizonan, you know, I went to high school in Arizona and I have a lot of friends in the association from Arizona. I'll be watching uh, Arizona very closely. Up in Wisconsin, Senator Ron Johnson is up for re-election. He originally opted to retire as a lawmaker after his second term, but recently changed his mind. And now he is facing the Democratic Lieutenant Governor, Mandela Barnes. So what are we seeing in this election? So Ron Johnson has a history of surprise. I honestly didn't think that he was going to win the last time, and he pulled the rabbit out of the hat. The dynamics in in Wisconsin are far different than they are in a lot of other states. They have often gone for independence. Their electorate is hard to pin down. I think the abortion issue does play for Democrats in uh, Wisconsin, and I think that the Democrats are running hard on, on that issue. But Ron Johnson is still leading in the polls in Wisconsin. And so I think that he could prevail. Democrats are not giving up there. They're working very, very hard to try to get Mandela across the finish line. Moving over to the House side, as Nathan mentioned, we have several competitive elections in districts throughout Alaska, Colorado, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and a few other states. So out of all these different close House elections, which ones stand out the most to you guys? I can take the lead here. We use a group called Cook Political Report and another one called Inside Elections that ranks races based on different categories that, and they change consistently. And they're sort of the industry standards for polling. Of course, polling is never perfectly accurate. We know in the elections in the past few years that polling can, can be very wrong. And that does happen often. But these groups do a really good job of looking at all the different categories of social issues and economic issues and the wins of local areas, and they get involved with sort of like if it's in Wisconsin, what are the people really focused on there? So this is how we measure some of these uh, rankings, and they list them in different ways. Some One of the categories is toss-up, which means it's a 50-50, no one knows. One is a tilt Democrat and a tilt Republican, and that means it, it's most likely, uh, it's pretty much likely going to be that, but there could be a surprise, you never know. Then there's the lean Democratic and the lean Republican, and that's the most likely going to to stay in the hands of the, the party that it leans towards. And then you have the races that are likely Democratic and likely Republican. And if it's likely, that's just sort of like they're looking at it, but no one's really paying too much close attention to it. Um, and then there's the solid category, which they don't even look at. So if you're a solid Democrat or solid Republican. So yeah, we have been heavily involved and we do look at a lot of these toss up and these tilt Democrat, tilt Republican races. And I'll give you an example of a few. In the toss-up category, we have Minnesota District 2. Angie Craig has been not only just someone who gets the industry because she had worked in it, but also like is heavily involved in health insurance and just her life in, on, on the Hill. We've given to her, she's spoken at our capital conference and she has attended our events in person and met with our Minnesota chapter in the St. Paul area. She is in a toss-up. Minnesota is very competitive, always has been. While it looks like it leans left, it's a, just a super competitive state. Race is currently listed as a toss-up. We have also given to Don Bacon of uh, Nebraska, who is in 
which Nebraska is very heavily Republican, but he is in an area of Nebraska that is not. So he's in Nebraska District 2, which we have many members who are friends with him, who work with him. And so his race is considered a toss up. Um, we've given to him. We may even have maxed out on his primary. And Andrew Craig, we did max out on. And then in the past, in Pennsylvania 17, we gave to a candidate running. That was previously Representative Lamb of Pennsylvania, who we also gave to that candidate as well. And so, yeah, we certainly are involved in a lot of these races that are considered toss-up. And then moving on to the tilt version, we, in Nevada District 1, I know we're bringing up Nevada again, it's a very important state this year, but Representative Titus of Nevada, we have given to many times and for many years, and that is a very competitive state. While he's the incumbent, there's just no one knows who will turn out to vote. And so we gave to him in this race. Also in New Hampshire 1, we gave to Representative Pappas. While he, in the past, he was considered likely to win this election, people are just very unsure if he can win in New Hampshire. And so, yeah, there's a lot of races that have been very closely contested that we are following that we did give to. And Hugh Pack looks at our record overall, how the percentages of candidates that win that we gave to, that matters a lot to us. Um, and we had a record of 93% last election cycle. So we're hoping that it stays high, probably will not be as high as 93% ever again, but we want to see a very high percentage of chance we get to win. So that's important. We've also looked very carefully in terms of what are relationships that we have with these uh, candidates running in open seats? Is there a relationship? We use our HUPAC questionnaire to kind of screen for their positions on healthcare. We look at their websites. And I've met many of the candidates that we have approved. And to get a, a sense and feel for them myself, done that in Pennsylvania and Florida and some of these other states, California, to kind of take a measure of, of the person. There are a couple of races in California that are perennial difficult seats to hold. A young Kim and Michelle Steele are typically in a, in a tight race. It's a very kind of purplish kinds of district, but they work districts very hard. In terms of looking at whether it's going to be what constitutes a wave election this midterm will depend on how, what, let's look at what happens in New Hampshire, right? Their results usually come out early. I think that Senate race, it might be closer than people think it is. If it flips to Republican control, then you know you can probably bank that it's going to be a wave night. I think one state we did not mention in the Senate race was North Carolina. Democrats are pouring a ton of money into that state. Congressman Budd has been playing that race very cautiously to not make a mistake. And sometimes that can give the other side an opening. I think, you know, they're both not well known throughout the state. And, and so this may be more party line kind of vote. It's a very purplish state with a lot of influx of new people from northern states that are probably more democratic. So, you know, North Carolina could be a surprise. Who knows? What do you think, Nathan? Do you agree with that? Sure. Uh, yeah, as a North Carolinian, I am, I guess I'm not uniquely qualified. I know both these candidates, and they're both very strong. Sharice Beasley was our Supreme Court Chief Justice for many years. And then Ted Budd was a congressman for many years. So it's both 
the high, high powerful names, but yeah, I believe polling is very much, I've been following it. It still shows leans Republican pretty heavily. So there's, it's not even a tilt or a toss up, but I agree with you that depending on who votes, um, I think, you know, in the past you, you, you've seen North Carolina switch occasionally, but I think polling is showing that there are, you know, specifically a lot more registered Republicans right now in the state. So if they show up, it should go as status quo, but we did give to, uh, just as an add-on, we gave to Representative that is running for the Senate seat as request of one of our Triangle AHU members who was going to an event in their local hometown. And so technically, we, that is one of the races we did jump in and support as a request from our North Carolina chapter. Well, hopefully, if he wins, that'll be another check mark on our box of, of our win category, and that will be great. Again, you, you never know. I don't see the wave going in the Democrats' favor in North Carolina. So we'll see, though. Who knows? A lot of House people are running strong on the Republican side. Richard Hudson has been redistricted. He's moved to a new district. But I think, you know, it includes uh, Camp Lejeune, if I'm not mistaken. I think that they're they're doing pretty well there on the House side. So if they stick along party line vote, Republicans could have a decent night there. As I said, you know, um, Money sometimes can be a tipping point, and they're putting quite a bit into North Carolina. You know, it's funny, even in the Oklahoma governor's race, Democrats are putting so much money into that race that Republicans are concerned about holding on to the governorship. I think Democrats are making a real strong play in governorships and secretary of state races because of, in part, because of the abortion issue and allegations of stealing elections and so forth, where the Secretary of State has to certify elections. Um, Those have become hotter races these days and could, you know, motivate some people to vote who might not otherwise have voted. We've talked about all of these very close elections. So all of this being said, let's assume Republicans take majority in the House or at least one of these chambers. If that is the case, what do you expect the health policy landscape to look like heading into 2023? House Republicans have already put together a blueprint for 2023 in the next Congress if they take control. And there's some good options in there for them. I see a shift towards looking at healthcare cost. This is something that NEHU as an organization has harped on for a number of years, that it's not just the premium, but it is the cost of care, right? And so I see Republicans willing to tackle the cost centers around hospitals and and physician, you know, provider cost and how employers are able or not able to negotiate with those groups. For example, uh, you may have heard of something called site neutral. I, I think we've talked about that in previous podcasts. Chris Hartman has covered that really nicely, where it shouldn't matter where you get the care, but hospitals are gobbling up outpatient clinics and then charging what they would charge in the hospital, the same service, but in an outpatient setting. So those are the kind of issues that we look forward to getting our teeth into. I think there'll be continued interest in telehealth and kind of sorting out what's appropriate for extending some of the telehealth flexibilities that that were offered during the pandemic. 
And I think that there may be some opportunities to actually work in a bipartisan way on some HSA changes. They have not been updated in a long time. Many Democratic constituencies now have them because their employer, that's what they offer. And so it would behoove all of us as Americans to have HSA policy updated so that we can use it, our, these funds in a, in, a, in a way that fits our needs in 2023. And of course, you know, Medicare will always be on everyone's agenda, in part because seniors vote and the trust fund is in trouble, though it has been kicked out. But, you know, if the economy changes, it could revert back to an earlier cliff date. So sooner or later, we're going to have to address the Medicare trust fund. But I'm assuming that that will likely be done after the 24 presidential cycle. It is now time for the NAHU Healthcare Happy Hour Toast of the Week. So who are we toasting to this week? So this week we're toasting to our agents and brokers who are involved in the individual market, OEP. And a great shout out to CMS as a terrific partner in this and making that market work so well. Cheers! Thank you for joining us for the NAHU Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Health Underwriters. For more information on NAHU's government affairs efforts or to become a member, visit NAHU.org.